Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, a podcast to help the church read, pray, and interpret sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm Chase Kraus. And I'm Ryan Pollock. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, everybody, for the last time for me. Bum, bum, bum. Start, <laughs> start on a down note. Oh, you'll come back every once in a while. This is true. You'll make some guest appearances, but it is your last day on the show. Big momentous escape. This is the 81st episode that we've done. Oh, you actually looked. Yeah, I, I think so. 81st. Yeah, 81st. Wow. 81st, wow, really. So you've done 81 of these 81. after today. That means I'm a pro, I think, right? That means they're going to put it on your tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, Always be known. <laughs> yeah, you, you all might have noticed this episode's a little late, and that's because you got the virus du jour. I caught the the Rona. You got the old the yeah. second times the charm. Man. I, I've, I've heard that's what that's Dude. what I've heard. So yeah, I, I don't so really know. First time I got I got OG Rona back in the day, um, literally just over a year ago, last January. Um, and that sucked. Um, yeah. That knocked me on my butt pretty good for like a week and a half. So that one was bad. That one was yeah, straight up not a good time. Um, and it was a day after Eli was born, actually, too. Oh, yeah. Boo. So I, what, could, I couldn't even help my what wife. Terrible timing. Yeah. Um, my wife is really holy. Um, <laughs> She's still probably mad at you for that. <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and then, yeah, um, there was like a small outbreak at our school. Well, there was a giant outbreak all over the earth, I guess. The Omicron. Yeah. And then I did a fifth grade retreat uh, a couple Fridays back. And sure enough, like, Wait, that, is that, that the one I helped you with? Yeah. So you got COVID from a kid in there. I'm assuming. Like we, everybody was wearing masks the whole time. I, dude, I don't know, man. That's, that's my weird. Only, that's my only, only you, you guess. Didn't, you didn't do anything else wild and crazy after that. I, I didn't even go to like Where, my normal raging outings. Where, <laughs> you, you didn't go to any ragers. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, oh, what's it called? Um, what's the thing with the glow sticks and stuff? Uh, the uh, rave? Uh, rave. Rave. You didn't go to any rave. <laughs> what's that party that the youths are throwing That's with right. the raves and the, oh, I'm so old. the, L, <laughs> the LSD? That's right. Uh, no, I didn't do any of that stuff. And then, um, yeah, I got, I got a tickly throat on Saturday, like the day afterwards. And I actually got tested on that Saturday because I'm like, I don't know, maybe I have it. Yeah, sure. And it came back negative, but the dude was like, yeah, your viral load's probably not just good enough, so you should probably get tested. Your viral load? Viral load, yeah. What does that mean? It's like, so when you get the virus, it takes X amount of time and number of like virus, antibody, whateverness to make make it to where they test in your nose. Ah. So it can be in your system without having enough for this test to pick up. Oh, I see. Um, Especially I did the rapid test too, right? So it's less sensitive. Um, And then yeah, Sunday... I felt like I had a small cold. Monday was the worst day. Um, I had the the classic like Rona headache and some fatigue and like cold symptoms. But then I took some Advil and some, then the headache went away. <laughs> and then uh, Tuesday was my scheduled test day because like everywhere was booked and you couldn't get yeah. it anywhere. And then tested positive, but I was already starting to feel better. And then uh, by Wednesday, I was like, I feel basically okay, but I can't leave my house. And then Thursday and Friday, I was, I was fine. And then my quarantine officially ended on Wednesday, actually. Five days for, path for your first symptom. I was CDC. just about to ask if you were in the clear now, because I'd prefer not to get it. Oh, no, I'm spreading <laughs> it to you right now. Um, no, yeah, so apparently CDC says five days after your first symptom, or like once you're, and then after your 24 hours, like totally symptom-free with no meds, and that was like Friday for me, so. Well, I just I just yeah. got my, my booster, so I'm feeling... Feeling Dude, pretty I good. Got, I got pretty my booster too. Good. I got my booster by getting it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Right. 
right? Yeah, so, but it was fine. It was more just annoying than, like, I've had colds that were worse. But anyway, that's why we didn't have an episode last week, everybody. And now we're back in the saddle. We are. Here, coming at you to talk about the letter of St. Paul, or is it, to the Ephesians. <laughs> yeah, so our Greek word of the day today is mysterion. Mm-hmm. And if you can't tell from the word, that's where we get the English word mystery. But yep, it's, it's an, also the Greek word, root of the uh, the word sacrament, so where sacrament yeah. comes from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's important to know that when we say mystery, uh, when talking of the New Testament and like theology in general, this is not like a Scooby Doo mystery. This is not like <laughs> it's um, not Sherlock Holmes happening. In yeah, here. yeah, we're not uh-huh. trying to like solve a case. It's not like oh, this is a mystery that we need to work to solve. Um, but rather, it is a mystery insofar as it is um, like the mystery of the, the the of the Trinity. Right? It's not that we're ever going to solve the Trinity. Right, but it's something that was revealed to us in order by the by the grace of God. Right? Yeah, so, it's it, it's pulling a. I mean, to be crude, I guess it's pulling a rabbit out of a hat. You yeah. didn't you didn't see the rabbit before, but now you do. Yeah, and the other thing of the entire New Testament as one big mystery, essentially, and especially the person of Jesus. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you the the mysteries. That, uh, there's actually a great book. It's called The Mysteries of Christianity by Matthias Schaben. He's a German. Um, I think it's the best best. A systematic theology book I've ever read. And wow! What a uh, what a plug. Yeah. So if you if you want to know more about the mysteries of Christianity, literally Google "mysteries of Christianity" by Matthias Shabin. This book is a doorstopper. Like it's huge. Like you can't see my fingers. You but could ward off an attacker with it. Yeah. It's but it's awesome. It starts with mystery in general, de- defining mysterion, and then he goes into literally every mystery, starting with uh, the Trinity, um, incarnation, two persons or two, uh, two natures, one person of Christ, like cool. The sacraments, like it's awesome. Um, so yeah. Well, we bring up that word today because this is the, uh, the, the part of the new Testament wherein it's mentioned the most, I think it's mm-hmm. six times. Yeah. It's a which lot. Is, uh, which is quite a bit. So yeah, before we dive into Ephesians, uh, you know, the past couple episodes, we haven't spent too much time on like authorship and destination and stuff. Cause it's been pretty straightforward. Um, Ephesians is when things get a little bit dicey, a little bit hairy. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, okay. So let's talk about the authorship first. Uh, Paul does address himself in the letter. It's I, Paul, right? Um, but which, so basically Pauline authorship was uncontested for like the vast majority of the church, like church fathers, everybody gets Paul. Um, but in recent scholarship, it's starting to be questioned because when you look at this letter, it's written, I mean, almost totally differently than all of his other letters. Yeah, it's very stylistically different. One little thing that we can zoom in on there is that the typical uh, greetings and peace outs that you get from St. Paul, right. hey, say hi to my friend such and such, are nowhere present in the letter. So that's kind of suspect. And the earliest manuscript traditions that we have here don't actually mention the audience being in Ephesus and Paul right. isn't really known. For, he's he's no, kind of known for writing very specific letters and not Catholic epistles. That is ones that just go out into the church at large. Right. So the other Catholic epistles being like the letter of James, first, second Peter, third Peter, first, second, third John. Yep. Those are all we call them the Catholic epistles, not because like Catholic Church, uh, like as in we're Catholic and we attend the Catholic Church, but more of like they're they're addressed to like everyone to read. They're everyone. universal. They're for yeah. the whole church. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So it it is. Now, 
you could say that the reason this is written differently than all of Paul's other letters is because there was no controversies he was addressing in Ephesus at the time. That could be like one argument, right? That's kind of where I want to lean. I won't die on a hill for it. Um, but I think in, in Ephesus, so Ephesus being in Southwest Turkey, um, Southwest Turkey, right? Southwest Turkey. Um, and, uh, and so Paul just kind of write, wanted to write a letter to that church. There was no major, con- there, the, the circumcision party wasn't like messing up with anything. There was no big heresies or anything. So he kind of just wanted to write this almost like a preemptive like theology letter to like set him up for success. Um, that's one way you could look at it. That's like that for Pauline authorship, right? If it's one of Paul's disciples who's writing a kind of Catholic epistle in St. Paul's name, it would make sense too because there's just, like Chase said, there's just not a whole lot specifically. There's no like, hey, uh, John over there is um, sleeping with his stepmom. Sleeping with, yeah. Right? <laughs> and so you gotta you gotta throw John out. That's that's not what's happening. So since there's nothing like that, it just makes people wonder, hey, was it really St. Paul? What's yeah. going on here? And before you like worry, like, wait, how could you write in somebody else's name? So um, in in ancient Greek Roman times, it really wasn't uncommon to like do like write in your teacher's name. Um, if it's, you were, considered it's considered a like a way of doing homage. It's, yeah. it's an honorific kind of thing. Yeah, so it's not like, and the church isn't like saying like if that was the case, it doesn't make it not a divinely inspired letter. Um, it still is, but and we're not saying that it for sure is. It's just if Paul didn't write it, then that kind of has to be the case. Yeah, on the one hand, this is interesting. Um, it's not interesting insofar as we're trying to determine like whether or not the letter is inspired right. scripture, right? Yeah. Like it, it made it into the Bible, guys. It's too late. Yeah, that's right. We're not going to take the, it out. The it's church already... has defined it as such. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So it, it's sort of a m- more of a matter of historical curiosity versus like, I mean, we're not trying to tell you what books are... Canon. Should be your shit. Yeah, yeah. We, we didn't not, write. We didn't write the canon. We're so. not Martin Luther. We yeah, won't do that. That's right. Um, but yeah. So when so far, <laughs> yeah, like, right. Now. Um, but as far as dating the letter goes, um, it really depends on if you think Paul's the letter, the, the author or not, right? So yep. if you're if you're like, yeah, Paul definitely wrote this, then it was probably written in the early '60s during his first imprisonment in Rome because he did. Whoever wrote this wrote it from prison. Yeah, they say so. Um, but if Paul didn't write it, then it could be as late as like the '80s or '90s. Yeah, I got yeah. 60s to 80s. Yeah, generally, so, so. Um, then yeah, then destination once again kind of just depends on yeah uh, if if you some traditions yeah. say that it came to Ephesus, some don't. It yeah. Seems like the earlier ones don't pin it on the Ephesians. So yeah, know, so hard, like, to, hard to say. Like Ryan mentioned, the earliest earliest manuscripts we've discovered, and by we I mean historians way smarter than I um, have discovered a about Ephesus, this letter don't, that doesn't have the word to the Ephesians in it. Right. right. And that's, that's problematic. Um, <laughs> if it's written to the Ephesians, if you want to die on that Hill, you, you might, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and really it's not important too, because if it is more of a general letter to the region of Ephesus and there's tons of Christian communities in, in Turkey in general, right? Yeah. Galatia's in Turkey, Ephesus is in Turkey. Right. So, I mean, it's, it doesn't have to be written to Ephesians. A hot take. If you're looking for a Christian nation, Turkey might be a great place to Man. to go and check out. Um, it, it's hard. It's harder to tell in this economy. Oh, in this economy, yeah. Gosh, I but it, uh, I, you know I, what I mean. Uh, are there still a lot of Christians in Turkey, or is it tons? Like the, really, tons, I thought the government kind of just went on that. Uh, well, it's been a, a Muslim government, and then a secular government, and then a more Muslim government for about the past hundred years. Mm. But uh, everybody, more or less, um, is rubbing rubbing shoulders, and it's one of the more safer and. Uh, serene cities in the region. So 
Yeah, great place to Have visit. You, didn't you say you went to that, um, oh, what's that big church? Ha- Hagia Sophia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Man. Um, ever since the conquest, it's been a mosque, and then it got turned into a museum, and now it's kind of tentatively uh, uh, whenever mosque Man. activities happen. But is, isn't there still that icon of Jesus like in there? Oh, yeah. Like they, they very very poorly and hastily plastered over the icons, and now the plaster is all peeling off, so it's coming back. Good. Um yeah, it's, it's really awesome. So uh, tons of great, beautiful, awesome Christian history in Turkey. And Very the cool. tomb of St. John the Apostle is in Turkey. It's and, in Ephesus, and actually. And the, the, we still have the uh, relics of the old Stylite monasteries. Wow. The folks who are going out on the pillars in the middle of the mm. wilderness and dispensing wisdom, those are still up. Man. Still up there. Yeah. Also, if you're listening to this, don't forget that the church started in the east, not the west. <laughs> Yeah. The church is East, is Middle Eastern. Yeah. If the Catholic Church is like your hobby horse or your Trojan horse for trying to preserve Western culture, like you're out of luck, pal. Yep. First <laughs> language is going to work. <laughs> first language is Greek, big dog. Yeah, come on. Come on. <laughs> uh, but anyway, enough said. We should get into the letter here. So we got um, the, the greetings and what I'm calling the ecclesiology and the who are y'all section. Sure. That's, that's 1 1 to 14. So. Paul uses a lot of great verbs that each probably deserve an episode in themselves, but he says the church has been blessed, chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, shown revelation, and sealed with the Spirit. All of those at the same time. Should we talk about predestination real quick? You want to? Why not? We got time. It's the last episode. Yeah, it's it's the last (laughs) one. Why not? I think we talked about the show before. Um, So let's talk about the difference between predestination and double predestination. Yeah, sure. Um, And then... Odds are there's no Calvinist listening to this, so you probably won't be offended by anything. Just in case, just yeah. in case your Calvinist buddies are, are ribbing you or yeah. teasing you a little bit. Um, so as a Catholic, you have to, you're dogmatically obligated to believe in predestination. Fun fact. Yeah. If you don't, you're a heretic. But not the like uh, John Piper, Louis Giglio, right. Passion Conference, <laughs> Jonathan Edwards right. kind, right? Well, what Paul means, what the church meant by predestination is, is that God sees everything all of time and space in the blink of a moment. So he knows exactly who is going to be in heaven, right? So in that sense, you are predestined. Like, he knows. Like, God knows. It's hard stop. He knows. He's God. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. Now, double predestination is God. You don't have a choice in the matter, right? You God, it's, there's a lever. God says up or down. And I, I've literally heard a... Uh, Calvinist sermon one time on YouTube, so take it with a grain of salt. But it was a recorded sermon. Um, so Paul Washer? Don't don't remember. It's some white guy. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Washer's a white guy. Yeah, it might have been him. Um, but he was literally preaching that um, you could, if you if you professed Jesus as Lord, you could go and kill somebody tomorrow and don't worry about it. Like, there'll be some punishment in this life, but you're good to go. Man, why aren't we Calvinists? That sounds like that's the Wild West, you know? Man. Just like, do whatever you I mean, want You literally all the time. could do whatever you want. Sin and right? sin boldly. Yeah. Right? And it's hard, too, because it depends on what kind of Calvinist you're talking to, because there are, like, high Calvinist and low Calvinist views on this, right? But They'll say, like, if you well, if you, if you want to go and kill a bunch of people, then you probably weren't part of the Right, you anyway. never accepted Jesus anyway in yeah. your heart and all those things, yeah. and there's ways to talk around it. Uh, I love the I love that lever image is great. It's like there's a trap door. Yeah, right. It's like gotcha at the beginning. Yeah. Of, beginning of time. Anyway, so God's foreknowledge, uh, his pre his predestining of those who would 
you know, be a part of his covenant family. It's not to say that your will is overridden right. or that, you know, God has just decided to damn you before the beginning that's of right. time it's or something. It's the primacy of grace through faith, right? Primacy uh, is important. It comes first, baby. That's right. God acts first. He gives us the grace to do good. He cooperates with us when we do good. Um, we're not ruled out of the equation completely. Um, and also... God desires everyone to be saved, like we read about in First Timothy. Mm, he desires that all men. Yeah, yeah. Be saved. it's First Timothy, right? Uh, God's doing the courting here. He's yeah. starting the. He's starting. Everyone's the, the offered jet. the same amount of initial salvific grace, but not everybody accepts it. Yep. That's a good way to kind of look at that. Anyway, all right, gang. Then we're moving on to the church unified in and by Jesus. This is one fifteen through two. 22. So Paul prays that they will understand all the things that have been given to them in Christ because all things have been put under Jesus' feet. 2, 1 through 10, God saved us while we were dead and united us to Jesus. Then 2, 11 through 22, God has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, making two formerly disparate peoples, Jews and Gentiles, yeah. one With through Christ, Jesus Christ the being the cornerstone. You know how St. Athanasius illustrates this? It's just so lovely. He says that on the cross, Jesus was, with his left and right hands extended, reconciling Jews and Gentiles. And with his head and his feet, he was reconciling heaven and earth, which is oh, just wow. a really, beautiful. really delightful There's got to be an icon that. about, like, somewhere about that. I'm sure, I hope there, I'm is. sure there is. I yeah. Need, I need to find that icon and yep. put it on my icon Yeah, Jesus was doing a great stitching up operation there on, right. on the cross. So, yeah. um, Then in 3, chapter 3 through four twenty-four, the Mysterion. Gentiles are included. God has revealed to Paul made the mystery clear that he must preach to the Gentiles. He says, I pray you may know and love, uh, you may know uh, know and grow up into God's love, and God has made you part of one body and given you many different gifts, that is, spiritual gifts. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Cool beans. And then we get into the moral exhortations. Yeah, 425 through 620. So <laughs> The rest of the letter. <laughs> yeah. um, basic conduct for believers. Paul tells them to try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And I don't think that I've ever, I've given a couple of talks to Christian audiences over the years. I don't think I've ever exhorted them the way Paul St. Paul has. Try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. I don't have the... For lack of a better word, I don't. I don't have the courage. That's the. I don't have the courage to exhort like Paul exhorts. I don't think <laughs> I should. And shame on me for not having that courage, right? But, but I, like, I. I just love that invitation. I mean, call it an invitation if you like. Try to learn what is pre- pleasing to the Lord. Uh, that is to say, it will take some practice. Yeah. Um, it will take some searching for you on your own to figure out. That's right. Um, but yeah, and then uh, the kind of the the two chapters kind of Ryan and I wanted to spend some time on um, is Ephesians five and then Ephesians six for two totally different reasons. Um, but both different kind of forms of moral exhortation. So, um, yeah. So five twenty one through 32 has yeah. the, one of the famous, more famous husbands, love wife, submit. Yeah. So let's, sort of sections. Let's read it here. Yeah. Um, and remember if your Bible, like my Bible has the, the break off after between 21 and 22 of like wives and husbands, but Remember that in when Paul was writing this, there was no verses, there was no like chapter breaks or anything like that. So we read this starting in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And then it goes on. You can read it yourself. But um, general idea. So yeah, so this is, <laughs> I don't know if it's controversial any, maybe it is still to some people, um, but I feel like every time I hear a preach, uh, a deacon or a uh, pastor like preach on this they always say this is controversial but i'm like <laughs> i feel like it i've been and i've been hearing that same line for like yeah. 10 years right you're making uh, yeah you're making it weird guys. yeah that's you're right one, you're yeah, the yeah. one making it controversial um and so uh if you really want to dive really deep into this uh men and women he created them the theology of the body oh sure yeah right um john paul ii spends a decent amount of time on the on these verses right oh yeah great um, recommendation yeah so if you're really if the very short explanation that i'm about to give doesn't doesn't do it for you then read men when we create them theology of the body mm-hmm. um, or like YouTube it. And there's a million Christopher West and Jason. Never the, talk about there's those. also Christopher West, uh, TOB theology of the body for beginners. Right. Which yeah. if you're on, if you don't have time for a tome, maybe you check, <laughs> maybe you check that one out. Yeah, first. yeah. A little bit easier, but, um, but yeah, so, I mean, a few things um, you have to look at where this falls in the letter in general, what Paul's intent was um, and the theology of like the home. Right. Um, so, uh, a few things to start off um, in 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So off the bat, there is mutual submission involved, right? So like <laughs> the whole like wives submit to your husbands, it's like just go one verse before. Yeah. And like <laughs> right. just learn how to read the Bible. Read one verse before. Don't just don't just pull, Le- pull learn how to read any book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and so there is mutual submission right now. JP2 will say that it is the duty of the husband to initiate the gift, right? Just looking at our bodies, looking at scripture, looking at how God made men and women, men being the initiators of the gift, and the women are called to receive the gift and then reciprocate that gift, right? Um, and so Christ, uh, so Christ designing men or God designing men as the initiators, as the leaders in that way, right? And so it says, you know, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So, God has established an order. Everything is properly ordered, right? It has it has an end, has a telos, right? And the order that God has established is that men initiate and sacrifice first, right? We to, we can't forget the sacrifice. Men are called to initiate and sacrifice. That's why men usually ask girls out on the first date so they get the rejection and not the not the girl right that's kind of just a way a cute way of looking at this right so that way if you get rejected the men takes the hit and not the woman kind of thing right not saying it has to but like traditionally right um so what does it mean um so this this idea of submission just break the word down submission so it's under the mission of right so what this doesn't mean is that the husband is some draconian leader who just you know, bosses the, the wife around and she gives them foot massages on demand. And even though that would be awesome. Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, and just in the husband is just, just some draconian ruler over the, over the wife, but rather if in courting and, in, and through engagement, the wife recognizes that the man's mission is to get her to heaven. And, and then through the, through her, the children to heaven, then of course she would be under the, that same mission. Right. Um, and so, and the, honestly, too, this is why courting and dating and engagement is so important because women have to, like, say, what's this dude's mission? Like, what's his goal? What's his goal in life, right? 
Um, and if it's not to get you to heaven, then don't marry him. Like, <laughs> is don't it, do it. Do you think that, uh, so in, in certain Protestant circles I've been a part of, the whole complementarian, egalitarian debate is really huge. Yeah, like, yeah, people yeah, like yeah. talk. Is that something that, in your experience, Catholic folk even care about or are interested in? Or In what sense? Um, well, so in, in a sense like this, you'll have the egalitarians say, uh, the Bible prescribes like no gender roles at all. Everybody, oh, everybody's yeah. equal apart from their biology, I suppose. Um, yeah. And then the complementarians will say, no, God prescribes very specific gender roles, and you know the men right. ought to do X and such, and the women. Um, so I think I don't think that is really relevant for any Catholic who knows Catholic philosophy and thought. Yeah. Um, any any really well formed Catholic who's okay. genuinely tried, right? Because it, anybody who's studied philosophy and logical arguments and conclusions and philosophical foundational stuff. You just, you can't come to that egalitarian conclusion. You just can't, right? It doesn't make sense. Um, that being said, I've met some Catholics who, let's just say they don't have that foundation. Well, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always found it really philosophically inconsistent to like land really hard on one side or the other. Namely because the, you'll meet like these hardline complementarians who are just like, no, wives submit to your husbands and this is the way it ought to be. And right. we're trying to create some sort of like... It's very uh, puritanical yeah, 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 yeah. But um, like if their wives all of a sudden like started working outside the home and making a lot of money, they all of a sudden they really wouldn't <laughs> care about that anymore, you know? Um, and, and the same with the egalitarians. Like every, everybody's equal, everybody's doing the same thing. But like the husband and wife are still taking very kind of traditional gender roles. Sure. Um, I guess the difference is they chose them or they arrived at those yeah. conclusions themselves. I don't think it's that interesting. No, and honestly, every, every solidly Catholic married couple that I've known that's truly trying to live out the faith... Um, you know, the wives under, or the, the husbands understand like, yeah, like I should initiate and lead prayer. Like I, as, my, as my role as priest, prophet, and king of my home, we should lead prayer. We should initiate. Um, I should be the first to take a step out in courage. Um, and even, even men, I've met men who don't do this naturally, but through their growth and, and holiness and maturity, they've, they've said, no, I need to bust out of my comfort level. And, and then their wives who do do it naturally say, no, I need to respect my husband's like role as the spiritual leader of our, it of just kind of happens. Yeah. Right. Um, it doesn't mean it happens easily yeah. right? or naturally, but, um, no. Yeah. And then, uh, cause yeah, there's, I mean, there's tons, I know tons of, tons of couples who the women is the woman, the wife is more outspoken, more outgoing and wouldn't actually do those things better, but it doesn't mean the husband doesn't do it. And you never know what their relationship looks like either. Right. You don't know. Like we just, you just don't know what it, like, I, <laughs> I think it's ignorant to say you know exactly how a husband and wife act like in private, right? Because right. nobody knows, <laughs> right? right? right. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that debate is super strong, at least amongst like the well-formed Catholics that I know. Um, there's probably some lib Catholics out there who who want to start the debate, who claim to know stuff, but then. Yeah. Oh, I make my wife wear a head covering at home when she's. That's you know, right. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't let my wife work outside the house. Right. Like, you know. What are we doing here? Um, so I think that's a misplaced view. No, I, I'm, I'm not of the view that the Bible prescribes a very specific, rigid amount of gender roles here, other than the ones that Saint Paul actually right. just gives, which is a yeah. very kind of general blanket statement. Uh, husbands, whatever you think. Uh, your wife's submission includes your submission includes acting like Jesus toward her. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. So, well, and and that, at the end of the day, it's once again, if your husband's mission is to get you to heaven, then of course, then the wife, of course, she would be on board with that. She'd yep. be under the under the same mission, yep. right? But you know, and once again, like this is the thing. Like, gosh, you should date and you should date and engage seriously. Like, if if your husband, if your boyfriend or fiance, if you're not seeing him die to himself for you and for others. 
Like, then what makes you think marriage is going to magically make him do that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no magic switch. You know, right. <laughs> right. if he's a jerk while you're dating and engaged, he's going to be a jerk after you get married. I feel like you've given this at some young adult. Talks oh man, before. buddy! I feel like you've said this. Oh, uh-huh. I was a cam- <laughs> I was a campus minister at a college for a while. I'll change him. Um, yeah, gosh, I had to talk some some kids off the ledge. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> um, Flirt to convert? No, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, okay, so we should yeah. dive into chapter six, I guess. Yeah, we, there's yeah. way more we could say about that, but yeah, yeah. So the next section, and we don't believe in coincidence; we believe in providence. And uh, today, of course, while we're recording this, is MLK Day. And there's that section about slavery here at the end. Let me pull yeah. up my pull up my notes here and make sure I quote it accurately. Uh, uh, six five. See. Yeah, slaves, be obedient to your human masters with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not only when being watched as currying favor, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Willingly serving the Lord and not human beings, knowing that each will be requited from the Lord for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Masters, act in the same way toward them and stop bullying, knowing that both they and you have a master in heaven, and that with him there is no partiality. So, um, one thing Paul, St. Paul doesn't say is that the institution of slavery is necessarily wrong de facto, ipso facto, right? Yeah. But by, by the nature of what it is itself. Um, there's one reason that I might offer that he doesn't. We should also distinguish between chattel slavery and... The, that's yeah, just, just yeah. where I was going, oh, partner. Okay, yeah. Just where I was going. <laughs> I jumped the train, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> so in the scripture, you don't see the sort of racially motivated slavery that categorized early American history. So it's easy for us to read this with American eyes and think we know exactly what this means and how it works. But in the Old Testament law, you had provisions for people who were in some sort of serious debt to enslave themselves, that yeah. is, work without pay for a certain amount of time until to they pay off, their pay, debt. pay off their debt. Yeah. And then you have the Jubilee cycle set up where after a certain time they would be set free no matter what. We should bring it back. All if I'm saying we, if, do- we were a, if we were a Christian nation, we would have done many Jubilees already. <laughs> hey But uh, so it wasn't based on anything racial. It wasn't as if you had um, a certain class or, or caste of people who were just you know, from time immemorial destined to be enslaved or something like that. So uh, Americans often have, have trouble with that. Now the church, the Catholic church, um, speaks against slavery throughout its very long 2,000-year history. Um, I, I found the earliest, I was trying to look for examples, the earliest example I found today was from uh, St. John Chrysostom. Oh, whoa. Um, talking about slavery. So that's very early, like 3rd century yeah. A.D., but uh, the church eventually does come along and say that tr- slavery is just necessarily wrong and it's not in keeping with the dignity of, of human beings. I think our friends in the Sola Scriptura camp have a very hard time making that yeah. case from just the scripture alone. Well, yeah, one thing is, as a Catholic, like we just talked about, we have this philosophical, tr- this rich philosophical tradition that, once again, we believe in reason. We be- and we, but we also believe that faith perfects reason and that grace builds on nature in that where, where reason fails, faith can get us, you know, where we need to go as far as revelation is concerned. Right. And so because we have this rich philosophical foundation, we believe in the dignity of human person from, you know, conception until natural death. You, you can't say that and say that slavery is okay. Yeah. Like the the logic doesn't follow. Yeah. Right. Um, and so the church has always been pretty, pretty logical when it comes to these kind of things, especially the moral decisions it comes to. Right. Mm -hmm. Even when it comes to Pope uh, Pope Paul the six and, you know, uh, renouncing, um, 
oh my gosh, contraception, right? Especially the pill. Um, it, once again, it came from the logical argument. And the thing is, people don't realize that in the church at that point, there were bishops and cardinals who were like, oh, it's fine. Like the pill is fine. You know, and it took, you know, a, a, a saintly pope and other bishops and cardinals and priests and theologians to say, no, that logic doesn't follow actually, right? Um, so yeah, I think we have to remember that um, we... We shouldn't fear. I know so many Protestants who just, I don't know if they fear philosophy, but they, they, they're scared of it. It's too, it's too Greek. It's too Hellenistic. You, know? you ever listen to Jennifer Frey's, uh, what's her podcast called? She's a philosophy gal, Catholic at the University of South Carolina. I don't think so. Sacred and Profane Love. She, uh, one of her big hobby horses is that the reason a lot of people are scared of philosophy is because there's just not any... Um, means in the culture today that they would naturally encounter it. So, I mean, they're not going to, like, if you just go to a public school and uh, you just live a typical American life, like, where would you, where would you get this That's why you should send your kids to a classical education model. (laughs) Don't, don't get me started. Don't get me started. (laughs) Like, where in the SAT prep would you get uh, philosophy? So, syllogism? Yeah. Where would you ever find such a thing? Yeah. Um, So, I, I I think it's important to talk about the kind of slavery that St. Paul is not talking about, namely the one that categorized yeah. early American history, slavery. especially on MLK Day. And uh, just to look at the church's consistent moral witness on this issue um, before throwing your Bible out the window because it appears to endorse something that... Yeah. And we have to remember that like the, that the KKK like, went after the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church was avidly, avidly against all every... I mean, all the... From, from slavery... Um, to segregation, to, I mean, the, the church is always, it, <laughs> I, I, and probably no one we're talking to is going to be scandalized by this, but like the church isn't, you know, liberal or conservative. The church is the church, right? We are not, the church is apolitical. It doesn't care about Democrats and Republicans. We, we transcend those by many, yeah. many, many centuries. Yeah. Like you got, and I, I, I feel like this is another soapbox I'm going to get into, but um, <laughs> I just, especially with, uh, the last election, right? Oh, Trump, Biden, all this stuff. And I would just say this over and over again. I'm like li- the church, I mean, almost quite literally doesn't care about your political party. It does insofar as if you actively vote for somebody you know is for killing babies, that's on your conscience. And it cares about your soul and your conscience and it's saying, hey, no, you shouldn't do that. Like, yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, but once again, we have to remember that, you know, um, it's just, it, the church goes above and beyond politics, right? Mm-hmm. The church... Mm-hmm. Uh, cares about the salvation of all souls. Yep, you know, blue, red, purple, whatever. And and we and we get our moral instruction um, primarily from the scriptures and from the church's consistent unfolding of them. Right. Um, and not from whoever we like on Twitter these days. That's right. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if you want more on this, we did a roundtable series before the last election. Um, Amy and I over Catholic social teaching. It was a four-part series. Hey, great. Yeah, great plug, recommendation. Plug, um, Rewatch that bad boy. When we released that, I got a combination of angry emails about like, how dare you tell me to vote for Trump? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I said every episode, I'm not telling you who to vote for. <laughs> you might, uh, uh, sir, madam, you might, um, you might want to go back and listen to the That's episode. Right. Yeah. And then you'd, you'd find the answer. That's right. That you're looking I would for. literally say, I'm an independent. I'm not telling you who to vote for. Anyway, we've totally gone on a tangent here and we should probably wrap up the episode. It's fine. We're, it, this, is all, <laughs> this is all in the context of how the church should be itself and That's how our right. ethical and moral teaching should play out. So. Screw you, politics. We're Catholic. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, tune into the letter to the Ephesians. Hopefully this has been somewhat enlightening for that. Yeah. So, uh, there's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a pause here with the podcast 
um, it will will most likely come back. Well, uh, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll hit that in the outro, but yeah. Chase, Chase, brother, thank you for your service. Thank yeah. you for starting the podcast and doing what you do, and uh, the Lord's blessings to you as you go on your pilgrimage here. Thanks, man. Pray for me. Pray for the family. It's going to rock and roll. Working remote, man. Uh, that's the dream. It's going to be. It's going to be wild. Yep. All right, man. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in to Catholics with the Bibles. Uh, my name is Chase Cross. I'm Ryan Pollock. Adios, y'all. Hey, y'all. It was great to tune in with you today. Well, I wasn't doing any tuning in. Um, it was great to hang out with Chase here on his final day and uh, get an episode here recorded. If this show has been a blessing to you, if it's been educational for you, um, or if it's just been a not unpleasant way to spend your commute, uh, let us know because we're trying to figure out how it can move forward from here. I'm certainly open to doing it, but I will not sit here and talk to myself for 30 minutes week after week. So we're trying to figure out how it can happen. But uh, yeah, let us know by email or carrier pigeon or however else you prefer to communicate these days. Au revoir.